Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting, thrilling On the Edge of Your Seat episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for being a mime, but I'm still your host. With me today, I have one of our special returning guest hosts, an initial OG of Views on View, as we say, Mr. Eric Hanchet. How are you doing, Eric? Hey, how's it going, Steve? Good to be Good. back. Good to have you. Good to have you. So uh, Eric comes to us from the wilds of Reno, I believe, still, right? Yep. Live in Reno, Nevada, northern Nevada. So. Yeah. Uh, how's things down there? We're, it's still cold and snowing up here in early April in Oregon. Yeah, similar here in northern Nevada. Some people uh, think that Nevada is just Las Vegas and that we always get 100 <laughs> degree plus temperature. But right. here in northern Nevada, it's actually closer to Lake Tahoe and we have some ski areas. So we, we live in a little bit of a valley, but we get quite a bit of snow and we, we just got snow like last week. So it's still at this point, we're still getting crazy weather, but that's good. Cause I, my, I don't personally ski or snowboard, but my family does. I'm trying to get back into it. I did it when I was a kid and uh, it's great going skiing in the ski resorts around here. So that, oh, that's same here. I got into skiing a couple of years ago for, through a buddy of mine. I hadn't skied in like 25 years. And so I'm loving this because Mount Hood, I live about you know, it probably takes me 45 minutes to get up to Timberline on Mount Hood where I got a pass. And I mean, we're just getting dumped on every day. Every day I go up, there's a whole bunch of new snow. And and uh, we're sort of up to, uh, I think, where our normal average is. But yeah, it's just a ton of new snow, which means spring skiing is going to be awesome, which usually goes through like end of May around here. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting up there and skiing again, hopefully next week. Wow, nice! Isn't it? Is it late in the season now, for you? No, I mean the the season usually goes up through uh, end of May. Usually get some pretty decent spring skiing. Mm, but, nice. But yeah, we've been getting. I think last week we got like three or four feet over the weekend, and we've gotten some more over the weekend. Haven't I had a lot say, of sunny days, unfortunately, but uh, but still, it's it's good snow, which means we'll have a lot for spring skiing. Which I will say really, really I am nice. getting a little a little uh, sick of all the snow though uh, and yeah. the weather craziness. Uh, I'm 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 ready for spring and I'm ready for summer, sun, hot warmth. weather. Yes. Yeah. yeah, my parents <laughs> live in Tucson, and so I've been making a point to go down there and hang out and work from their place for a week. <laughs> Trying to do that, I did it in January and it was still sort of cold. Uh, so once it warms up again, I'm going to head down there again and just hang out and warm up <laughs> for a while. So today we are going to talk about Uno CSS. Uh, and for those of you who remember the card game from your childhood, no, I don't believe it has anything to do with Uno CSS, although Anthony Fu could probably answer that question for us better. Um, but uh, it's basically a, uh, I don't know if it sees itself as an improvement on Tailwind, sort of the atomic CSS type library or not. But I know nothing. Eric knows everything. So I'll let uh, Eric <laughs> talk about Uno CSS. Yeah, this is kind of a surprise to me. It's been out for a while. I have been doing, for those who have been listening to Views on View or may know me from the View community, I've been doing YouTube videos for quite a while and blog posts. And and people have, have been asking me to check out Uno CSS for quite a while. I think it's been out for a year or two. I could be wrong. I'll have to look at the first. It's it's all open source. I'll have to look at the first uh, 
release. But so I, being a curious person and trying to create fun content for my YouTube channel, I decided to give it a shot. And I was pleasantly surprised. I've used a lot of different frameworks, UI component frameworks out there. Give a quick plug. I'm a developer advocate for AWS Amplify, and we have our own component framework called Amplify UI. Uh, but that one's more of like a full-on component framework where we have our own primitives, buttons, and menus, and dropdowns, and modals, and things like that. But Uno CSS is more in like the line of Tailwind CSS, where if you look at the H1 on the unocss.dev website, if anyone wants to follow along, it says it's instant on-demand atomic CSS engine. It's customizable, powerful, fast, and uh, joyful. So it's a joyful experience. <laughs> At least that's what it says on the H1. A very well done website too, by the way. I really like it. It's it's the brainchild behind uh, the brainchild behind it is Anthony Fu. If you're in the Vue community, you probably have heard his name quite a few times. He's the guy behind a bunch of really popular projects like. View use. If you ever use composables, you probably brought that into your app. Vtest, he helped um, write some of that. He's also on the Windy CSS core team, I believe. Uh, he's created uh, Vtest, not Vtest, but Vtest, which is like a pinionated Vt plus view starter template. Oh, did I miss anything that he's done? Uh, I don't have it memorized, so. <laughs> so he has a lot of different sure. projects. I think he's somehow affiliated with Nux too. I think he works uh, works well with the, the Nux people, but he has a lot of really interesting open source projects, especially a lot in the Vue community. So uh, where should we start, Steve? Uh, I guess you could talk what it, I guess it's ancestry. It's, I've been reading about it on the page here and I guess the purpose of it, and what, is, what it supposedly does better than maybe Tailwind or... Windy, which is apparently no longer supported. Oh, and to answer your question, October of 2021 was its first commit or its first uh -huh. release on GitHub. Yeah, so it's fairly. It it seems like a may have been inspired by all the lockdowns and COVID lockdowns. Everybody came up with a side project during that time. Maybe Anthony right. Fu was the same, at least a year after. Uh -huh. Yeah, so it's inspired by Windy CSS, Tailwind CSS, and Twind. But kind of the differences in it, they say it's it's a lot more customizable. They call it fully customizable, uh, where you can take pretty much any of the tail. Well, let's let's take a step back before we talk about customization, uh, just to define some terms for those who may not know. I don't think most people do, but Tailwind CSS is like a utility first class framework, and the way you usually create your apps using Tailwind, and this is a simplified version for those Tailwind experts out there, but you usually have classes and then you have these like short little class names like uh, MT-4, which stands like margin top, add four pixels. And then you might have something called text-color-500 and that'll add a, a CSS property for um, the color for a, a font. So you have you can pretty much create your whole application just adding these little utility classes everywhere and they all translate to CSS. And then when it builds and compiles your app, only the CSS and those utility classes that you're using will be inside your application. So it's really, I used it a lot 
I've used it a lot just to quickly create uh, and scaffold and CSS. I can sense I can put it all in my HTML uh, applications. It's uh, it's less verbose than doing inline uh, styles, of course, and it's pretty powerful. And I, I'd say it's gained a lot of popularity in the last few years and to the point where other frameworks are kind of also taking on or engines, I guess you could call them, are also taking on this same kind of utility class style. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the thing to know is that you're not, I mean, by itself, Tailwind doesn't really have any components, you know, like a Beautify or a, or a Bootstrap View or something like that. It's just, it's the CSS classes by themselves. Now, the, if you look around at, do some searching and look at the ecosystem, there's a lot that has sprung up around Tailwind. I mean, pre-built components uh, using Tailwind. They have their own uh, icons, library hero icons, and you got Tailwind UI, which gives you a number of UI components that are all made with with Tailwind. It's got you know like some modals and and buttons and select lists and transitions and and things like that. Um, and uh, you know, there's Tailwind UI, which you can buy, which I did, and I love it. Uh, which has a whole bunch of pre-made components, you know, pages and shells and, you know, little smaller components that you can just copy paste in. Uh, so by itself, Tailwind is, is you know, just the atomic li uh, library tool set, but there's a big ecosystem around it where you can literally, you know, go find a, a, a what's the term I'm looking for? A template. There we go. Drop it in and then tweak it to your, to your content. But very different from, um, like I said, the bigger frameworks, Bootstrap, View, Beautify are probably some of the better known ones in the in the Vue community. Or Quasar, yeah. Quasar, right? Yeah, Luke. Uh, Luke's hosted on. Uh, used to host with me from down under, and and he's real big in the Quasar community. Does QuasarCasts.com. Oh, that's really neat. Yes, that's a good that's a good summary of Tailwind. I've not used. I've I've used a little bit of Tailwind UI. I know, like. You can there's there's even something called headless UI, which I think is made by Adam Atwathen and that same crew mm -hmm. that you can combine with that it's it's used in Tailwind UI to make more interactive type components instead of yeah. just mm -hmm. normal um, instead of just having these classes and and just the look and feel. You actually can have some interaction and in JavaScript behind it. Yep. Uh, I think some people have compared headless UI to Radix on on the React side in some ways. So well, headless UI support has both view and react versions. Oh yeah, that's true. The, the code that you can copy. Um, same with I think Tailwind um, not Tailwind UI, headless UI has the view and react components as well. So going back to then Uno CSS, to, so as you already alluded to, Steve, so I believe Anthony Fu was on the Windy CSS core team and they have Windy CSS as you said, is no longer actively maintained any longer. And Windy CSS was sort of a better uh, Tailwind CSS. It was a fully compatible with Tailwind CSS V2. And they added some like additional features that they're calling it boosting your workflow and further opens up more possibilities. So we have like these variant, more variant groups. So if you ever seen like dark or light that's like a kind of variant class that you can add in. You put dark colon and then like hover or dark colon, something else. And then you can have it like when 
certain if you have light or dark mode set up on your computer it, it can or if you have a switch on your website you can make it look differently there's also like better responsive design so windy css i which i haven't used but from what i can tell was taking tailwind css v2 and then adding a bunch of additional features. Then Uno CSS, like you said, came out in 2021, and they kind of started off with like, let's take the features from Windows CSS and then let's improve on it even more and adding more uh, features and using something called presets, which presets are like plugins that you can add into your into uh, your app. And so they Uno CSS inherited Windy CSS on demand, natural. Um, some utilities like uh, Attributify, which I can talk about. There's uh, shortcuts, variant groups, compilation modes. And then C Uno CSS brought some new things to to the world, uh, to this engine, including uh, pure CSS icons, a different type of Attributify, a valueless Attributify, which we'll talk about, and Tagify and web fonts, etc. And so... It's kind of, and there's a whole section on why you may want to use Uno CSS, but it's really taking like some of the best parts of Tailwind CSS and and on top of that, Windy CSS, and then creating like just a, a lot of different features to make it really easy to create uh, CSS and atomic CSS inside your application. So the gist is still the same in that you've got your predefined classes and you, you add them to your markup. Yes. Okay. And does it still do the uh, the color ranges like 100 to 900 like Tailwind does, or does it and allows you to customize and create your own colors if you want? Yep. Yep. So you have you have the same exact um, the same exact color uh, schemes that that Tailwind has. I've been told that that there's uh, some slight differences, but like. The basics are the same between Tailwind classes and Uno CSS classes. In fact, Tailwind has not just Tailwind classes; it also has Bootstrap, uh, Tachyon, and Windy CSS custom classes. Because you can do things like in Windy CSS, like I said before, you can do MT dash four, and mm -hmm. that would translate to like margin top four pixels. Right. But you can do actually MT dash ten pixels or MT dash twenty REM, and that would do a margin top with 20 REM instead. Mm -hmm. So it has, it's almost like you can not just do Tailwind, but you can use these other uh, libraries that have these you know, atomic CSS uh, utility classes. I have someone in the comments of my video said that, that the bootstrap, some of the bootstrap utility classes, which I never, I've never used. I have used bootstrap, but I don't remember using them as utility classes. It's been such a long time that they actually, uh, overlap with the Tailwind ones, and the Tailwind ones uh, wins out though. So if if you are using, if you're used to like the Bootstrap utility classes, there might be a few that are the same as the Tailwind, but the Tailwind ones will win out on it. Okay, yeah, I can see the similarities. I use Bootstrap View every day, so the, there's a lot of classes that are very similar. That you know the way Tailwind works. Did you use? Are you a Bootstrap fan, Steve? I don't know if I'm a fan. I use it by because I have to, <laughs> you know, day to day. Um, but uh, I, I mean, I've used it before. I can remember when it was pretty much the only thing, you know, before we started getting things like Bulma and and, and other libraries. Uh, but yeah, I have no problems with it. The Bootstrap View has been very nice uh, from a 
component library standpoint in that uh, a lot of things you can drop in and just, you know, write your code and, and configure them pretty easily. Uh, you know, data tables or, you know, form fields and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's good to remember a lot of people think that we're only using, you know, everybody's using Beautify or Quasar. Uh, but there's quite a few people in the Vue community still using Bootstrap Vue or, or just using their own style sheets or CSS modules and like not, you know, no one size fits all for the whole community. Yeah, the project that I'm working on, uh, my Inertia Laravel Vue project, I wanted to use Beautify. Uh, I really did. And we had John Leader on a few months ago, uh, I think, talking about uh, Beautify version 3 and so on. But the one thing that held me back from using it was the lack of data tables, because that's something I use, you know, quite heavily um, in uh, in this particular app that I'm doing. And so because of that, I sort of stayed away from Beautify. And it wasn't quite ready yet. There were some other issues as well. So I've been, you know, I went with a uh, Laravel Breeze starter kit, which in, which uses Tailwind uh, and Vue and Laravel out of the box. So uh, I've just been sticking with Tailwind on, on this current project. Yeah, works great. One thing Uno CSS doesn't support is the Tailwind plugin system that they have. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely, if you are a hardcore Tailwind user and you use uh, Tailwind's plugin system or specific configurations, it might be, uh, the migration might be harder going going to Uno CSS. So there's definitely some trade-offs that you have to kind of think of. It's, um, but Uno CSS, it also says it's high-performant and extensible. So I guess we could talk about um, some of these extensions or plugins that you can add in. I think we all can understand at this point how mm-hmm. Atomic CSS works and just adding classes in. It, by the way, when I was using this, I used it on a, a Beat View app, but you can use this on React, Angular. It even has installation instructions on how to use it with like Solid and Quick, and it looks like you can pretty much use it everywhere, which is really nice. So this is definitely not like a view-only project by any means. Yeah, yeah, Tailwind's the same way. You can drop it in and use it. Yeah, which makes sense because this is, you know, it's the CSS we're talking about here. Yeah, right. they have uh, installation guides on Next, Astro, Webpack, Runtime, CLI, PostCSS. I think it even has a CLI that you can use to install it. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's a Uno CSS CLI. <laughs> so... Right. If you really want to start your app with, with Uno CSS, you can use the CLI. Now, one thing that's interesting that here's one difference from Tailwind, and I just remember when I first started using Tailwind, I couldn't figure this out, but it, Uno doesn't do any browser-style resets. So Tailwind, by default, will go in and reset all your styles. So, if, you know, uh, like all your H tags and... Uh, I, can't remember all the other ones I've dealt with, but basically you can go add an H1 if you're using Tailwind. If you go add an H1 into your code, um, all the pre-built browser styles that go with an H1 in terms of the font size and the font weight and all that kind of stuff are gone. So you specifically have to add it back with your classes. So you have an H1 from a semantic point of view in terms of your document structure and and you know how that could come into play with whether it's SEO or um International, not international. What's the what's the term for accessibility? I, accessibility, yeah. There we go. 
you have it from a from a semantic viewpoint, from from a, from a visual viewpoint, you specifically have to add, you know, do I want a font weight bold? What do I font size do I want? Do I want a you know line height? Whatever the case may be. Whereas Uno CSS says that they specifically do not do any pro, uh, style resetting or maximum flexibility. That's that's a good point. I wonder if there's like a preset that changes some of that. Well, they said you can, if you want to do that, if you're using the Uno by itself, you can use something like normalized CSS. Okay. That's sort of like when you start a new project. And I haven't done this in a while because I think some of my frameworks I've used do this for me. But yeah, the first thing you would do is like you add in normalize or you reset your CSS somehow, depending. <laughs> that was like a, a thing I used to always do all the time. Then you know it would look correctly in every single browser, at least hopefully. So I'm one thing I guess I'm it just struck me that I'm a little confused on. You said if you use this with other tools, you wouldn't just use Uno by itself. I mean you wouldn't use it as the Uno, you know, thing on your application. Yeah, no, I would. Oh, dang, I, I missed would. my rim shot. I should have had that ready. Anyway. <laughs> uh yeah, you would definitely I think this I what I would say is that once you're picking like a CSS framework or, or UI component framework, that you mixing and matching is usually almost always a bad idea. It's uh, if you never really want to like add in material design framework and then another framework on top of that and or using Tailwind or use Uno and then bring something else in. So no, probably wouldn't be a, the best idea to do that. Okay, just make sure I... Didn't misunderstand there, because to me, yeah, you said something about bootstrap classes conflicting with Tailwind classes, so that's why I was wondering. But but yeah, all by itself would make more sense. I don't want to deal with conflicts, to be honest. I got enough of that in my life. <laughs> yep, for sure. So now that we know about Uno, um, have you you been using it at all? Have you tried it in any projects or anything? I tried it in my video that's on my YouTube page. Uh, plug eric.video if you want to check it out. But it's kind of a lot of interest. So when I used it, I was just kind of playing around with it in in that context, trying out different features. So I went through uh, most of the preset, uh, a bunch of the presets. So I'll, let me go over a few of them. So the Uno preset, there's a Uno preset, which is default, and that includes the Uno preset Windy or Uno preset Wind. And Uno CSS or Uno CSS preset window and Uno CSS preset mini. And that's kind of like the one that you want to use if you're just checking this out. This will have all those different uh, Tailwind, Tachyon, Windy CSS utility classes in there that you want to use. Uh, it also kind of bundles in this mini preset, which gives you uh, additional features for different variants like dark mode. Uh, and an at layer, CSS na native at layer is supported. So you can do layered at layer foo and then your CSS classes and it also has a, a theme available. So you can use a fully customizable theme property in your config, which allows you to create um, certain, they're almost like design tokens in some ways. It kind of reminds me of it if you've used design tokens where you can put in uh, different brands and components and, well, mostly colors in this case. 
And then you can also in, use some customized rules. And that's all part of preset mini, which is a part of the, the default preset Uno uh, preset. And then I used a couple other ones, uh, Attributify, which that enables attributes in your presets. And the way that kind of works is you in, you might have a preset that has something like BG-Blue-400, which is like background blue with the hue of 400. And you might have uh, hover um, colon BG-Blue-500. And then you might have a dark colon blue dash 500. And what you can do with this attributes is you can use HTML attributes inside your inside your HTML elements. So you can add an attribute called BG and have BG equals and then, then have a list of all the kind of related attributes to BG, which is the background. So you can put blue dash 400 or hover colon blue dash 500 or dark colon blue dash 500. You can also do things, I was playing around with it, you can just put flex. So if it only has one attribute, like you normally inside a class, uh, like if you're using Tailwind, you would put in flex and then you would put in justify um, content. I think it's like justify center or line item center. And you can actually use those as attributes on the HTML element. So like in a button attribute, you could just put flex and that'll add display flex as a CSS property. And you can do the same thing with um, with uh, color, text color red. So you, you can add these attributes in instead of having them in as, uh, instead of having them as classes. So it's kind of interesting. I was playing, I liked it because uh, we have something similar in Amplify UI. We, we call them style props. So it was, Kind of, kind of a nice way to do it. Um, I don't know. The one thing I did notice is after I added these in, and I did, I got a lot of feedback on my YouTube video about that, and a lot of people are like, "Why would you want to add classes as attributes?" And I was like, "Well, I, I think it's just handy to add in I, rather than putting in a class, and it's nice to group similar classes together um, inside a, as an attribute." But, you know, some people are really against it. So basically, if I'm understanding presets, they're basically a sort of a template. I don't know if yeah, they're like, like plugins. So it's, you, here's a predetermined list of different capabilities or different classes and, and things sort of as a toolbox, for lack of a better yeah. term. Yeah, so when you set up, like in B, when you set it up, you add in Uno CSS as a plugin to Vite. And then inside Uno CSS, you can add in each preset. And then you can, the default preset is that preset Uno I just talked about, but then you can add in presets like for Attributify. So they don't, so they, so your presets are, they're different things. They're not like the same thing, just different styles and, and sizes and shapes or whatever. Yeah, you can think of them like different plugins, like like this adds, at this the Attributify one adds in allows you to have classes as attributes on your on your elements. Uh, another one, maybe this will clarify it a little bit, like another one is Tagify. So it's called preset-tagify. Mm -hmm. And this does something where instead of having, you know, you have your spans or divs or mains uh, and, and all your other HTML5 tags, 
now you can actually have a tag be a name of, uh, of one of these classes. So let's go back to flex. So you can actually have a, a tag that's, that's flex inside your app. So you just put flex. That would like create a, basically a, a flex tag and it adds in a, uh, a CSS class for uh, basically a, a CSS uh, flex in, inside there. So you can do that for flex. You can do that for um, text color. So that's kind of another way where you can start uh, tagifying your your classes. So what's the benefit of tagify? I'm looking at it. And it's, it's, if I'm understanding the docs correctly, it's basically when you only have one attribute that you want to add to a uh, one class that you want to add to a specific element. So instead of div class equals flex, it's just a flex tag. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I think it just saves you like a little bit more time. So mm -hmm. instead of having to type out, of course, we all use Emmet and VS Code. So maybe this is not that big of a deal. But instead of writing div class equals flex, flexbox, end tag, close div, you can be like flex tag, information there, close flex, or text dash red. I thought this wasn't quite as useful as attributeify, but I think that's neat that you can add it in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, another one I found, uh, kind of one I found like worked well with the tag one, this tagify preset is called icons. It's mm -hmm. called the icons preset. And that they say it's use any icon with pure CSS for Uno CSS. So in this case, uh, there is this, this uh, iconify JSON GitHub repository. Have you ever used that? I have not. I've just, uh, when I was reading the docs earlier, that was the first time I'd noticed anything about uh, icons in CSS. I mean, that makes, from a performance standpoint, I can see why that would work sort of like a, what, a base 64 encode of an image, where it's just, you know, you're not downloading some big, huge thing or, you know, fonts or images or something. It's just straight CSS is right there. So it's going to be more performant. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of outlined it there. The Iconify set, there's an icon set, is like a master set of all these open source icon sets. So if you look at the if you look at the collections, it has everything from material symbols, material design icons, solar, tabler, bootstrap. It literally has like a hundred different icon sets inside of it. And you can install, you don't have to install the whole thing. You can install like a subset of it. So they're all um, referenced with an at sign. So you can install just MDI or just solar if you want. So you install this as like an NPM module into your app as a developer dependency. And then and then, then what you can do is you tell, you also install the preset icons um, preset inside Uno CSS. And what you can do is inside your classes, you put I dash, and then the name of the icon set. So like if you're using uh, VS Code, that's an icon set, VS Code-icons, you put I-VS Code-icons, and then depending on the icon set, you put dash and then the name of the icon, uh, which could be like circle or square, or maybe you have um, a pause button or a start button or something like that. And so that class gets interpreted 
And that div then becomes that class icon. And it's an SVG icon that's inside your app. So that's uh, pretty neat. And there's a bunch of configuration too. You can make them inline block, or you can make them blocks, or you can vertically align them and things like that too. Uh, so it's just an easy way to add icons to your application. You can also add like your own custom icons too if you don't want to use like Codify. Now, for a lot of these are just in black and white. So I'm assuming since they're CSS, you could also add color to them. Is that a safe assumption? Yep. Yeah, you, you can take them and add fills to them. Um, see the CSS fill property or uh, just add a color class and and or color yeah, color, text color class, and, and you can change the colors of them too. Depends on the icon set on what they kind of give you and what they allow you to change the colors for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I did, I, when I was playing around with it, I took, it's called Evil Icons, which I just thought was a cool name. <laughs> and so I looked, I took the Evil Icon set and I took like a pause and, and I took uh, like a, an arrow up and then I changed the color and it, everything seemed to work fine on it. It was, it was pretty neat. Now, you can use this as like a div tag and then add a class and then add in that utility class, the i dash and the name of the icon set and then the name of the icon. Or you can use this with the tagify preset icon. So it's kind of hard to describe them on a podcast here, but in that case, you can have your icon just be the tag name. So it would be uh, i dash evil icons or EI dash uh, up, and then that would be the icon name, and then it would just show up. So that was kind of neat combining those two presets together to, to do things. I'm not a big SVG icon guy, but I there's uh, this Iconify is the first time I've kind of been playing around with it. I, usually my other projects, any my designer just gives me SVG icons or I extract them out of Figma or wherever else. But it was nice having like really nice uh, icon set playing around with to play around with do you guys use icon sets at your job uh yes we use ford awesome oh yeah so, that's awesome. a great one too yeah so Font we awesome. have we have our uh we you know we pay for uh create our own custom set of icons and we just import them and if we need to add one out of there we just the nice thing is that you can say okay i only want these icons instead of the whole world you know and then so you have your own custom icon set if we need to add one then we add one and do it that way. So yeah, it works, that works pretty well. Uh, the, the last one I just want to mention is the web fonts preset. And that one is allows you to add any of the Google web fonts just really quickly to your app. Uh, the way it works is you inside your um, inside your configuration in your Vite config file, you would put a preset web fonts. And then you can put the provider and the type of fonts that you want without having to install them all. And then it automatically generate the CSS. So like, for example, in their docs, they have, you want it to add in like fire code or uh, robot, Roboto and it's uh, the provider's Google. And then you can, it'll automatically do the import of the URL for you and grab all the fonts for you. So that's pretty handy too. Yeah, it looks like it also supports Bunny. I have <clears throat> never heard of Bunny before now. And uh, font share. So, yeah, I've I've always used Google Fonts, or I've downloaded the font directly into my app. I don't mm -hmm. know what have you. Are you a font guy? <laughs> I don't know. Browser fonts is about the extent of my knowledge. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't really played with fonts too much. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, that's cool. That's, that, I like this that you can just sort of pick and choose from, from different sets. Cool. Oh, Bunny is a pri- it says it's a privacy friendly Google font. So if you're like a yeah. Google font person, but you want like privacy enabled Google fonts, then I guess you use Bunny. I wonder what that means, privacy enabled fonts. I don't know. I guess why, why not just like download the <laughs> why not just like download the font and then do it that way. We we had a discussion a few years ago in an old startup I was in. Like, should we use Google Fonts or is that going to cause like slowdowns or or issues later on? Or should we always use our own fonts um, that we downloaded? I don't know if we ever. I think we ended up just downloading all our fonts and importing them that way. Yeah, the Bunny Fonts just says they have a zero tracking and no logging policy. It helps you stay fully GDPR compliant, put your user's personal data into their own hands. Hmm. Not sure how that works, but anyway. Uh, Google fonts work great for most people. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll have to maybe play with fonts at some point. I struggle just to get a decent dashboard to look good <laughs> just because <laughs> I have no design chops. I just Somebody <laughs> give me a design and I'll implement it, but that's about it. So One of those things I should probably learn if I want to do front end, huh? <laughs> so what about the uh, documentation? I know when I'm working with Tailwind, I live quite a bit in their docs. Uh, is it pretty good? It looks like it's sort of a search and find type of thing instead of instead of uh, putting it all out there for you. I, I think their docs are excellent. A little tidbit when I was learning this, I, I didn't have access or I, I, I think they changed their website when I was looking at it. But long story short, the the website is is great. It has lots of good information, and it's it's fine it, to go through. and And they did a great job of of uh, of finding information on it. I think, as always, when you probably get into the sticky wicket of configuration, I like the Happy Path is great for Uno CSS. I'm certain when we get into a little bit more. Um, difficult issue when you get into like off the happy path and you're doing a bunch of overrides configurations then I would say where the documentation probably isn't as robust uh, but for the most part you know it's it's been great I haven't had any real issues it looks like I want to say this is a website that's created with I wonder if this is created with another view product what is this created with it looks it looks like it's 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 dog fooding Uno CSS for sure, at least. I would assume so. I think it's it using like Beatpress. It's like it's Nuxt. Oh, maybe it is not. It's, it was thinking it's either Beatpress or Nuxt. I'm not sure. Yeah, because my dev tools uh, said Nuxt and Viewer detected on this page. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the documents are interesting um, because they're. Uh, you know, if you're familiar with the Tailwind docs, you know, everything's in the middle and you've got your nav bar on the left side and you can click and go right there. Whereas the, uh, the Uno CSS docs are interactive. So there's a big search bar up at the top and then it has a, a type of head type feature. So if you type typing, mar- type, uh, typing margin, then you'll below, you'll get a whole list of uh, different margin, margin left, margin top, margin bottom. And then on the right, uh, gives you some documentation. So, uh, I will say of- there's there's two different ways to to your point that you can there's the the Uno CSS dot dev which is like 
the guide, how to get started, configurations, integrations, things like that. Then there's the interactive docs, which is more of a type in what you're so looking reference. for. So reference. Like more of a, exactly, more like a reference where you can just type in margin. And then there's the playground, which mm -hmm. is really slick where you can type in classes and see on the left-hand side, like in an interactive playground and it updating in real time. So I can type in like text to Excel and it, it'll automatically change it. Uh, it even has, what's really cool, I don't even know, I wonder what library they use. As I am typing into the playground, the Uno CS Plus playground, this looks like an HTML file with all the tags on there. Mm -hmm. It's giving me like a type ahead autocomplete in the browser, which is really cool. So I can do it in. And their type, by the way, they also have inside their playground, they're using Attributify. So instead of putting classes everywhere, you just type in the attribute right on like the div tag for text to Excel and it just does everything for you, mm -hmm. which isn't really nice. So it's it's pretty slick. I I mean, definitely I like it like it like that. Cool. Yeah, maybe we'll have to get Anthony Antfu on here sometime. Maybe give us a little more detail. Behind the scenes goodies, that's always fun to get. Yeah, has he been on here? No, I've never had Anthony on before. I know the name, think... you know, like most everybody else. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he does too many podcasts. Um, but it'd be great if he if he does. Um yeah, I'll definitely reach out to him for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. I know he was, uh, we were talking earlier, he was sequestered in a hotel in China for a while <laughs> uh, last year. So as I understand, he's not sure where he's at, where he's based. But yeah, I'm That's guessing that guy's just really busy, just with all the, the great things he's doing for the view community. And Oh, yeah, he's in a lot of stuff for sure. The web development community in general. Cool. All right. That With that, we'll wrap up our talk about Uno CSS. Um, no, yet another tool in the burgeoning web development world of ways to make your content look good. Mm -hmm. For sure. So with that, we'll move to picks. Picks are the part of the show where we get to talk about things that we like to talk about that may have something to do with tech and web development or maybe not. Just depends on, I guess, what your thing is for the day. Um, one of the things I'll bring up is an interesting article about chat GPT. And if you've listened to, you know, read anything on Hacker News, I swear half the articles are about chat GPT anymore and all the different tools that people have been creating in that ecosystem. Um, and I think chat, as of right now, chat GPT-4 is the most recent uh, version. It's been interesting to see some of the uh, stories about it, you know, it's it's like anything else, you know, everybody's on the bleeding edge. Oh, this is great. It was awesome. And then you start to slow down and say, well, maybe there's some issues <laughs> that we need to talk about. Um, I remember when it first came out and uh, how Google flopped miserably trying to get it out the door without making sure it was working correctly. And some of the issues with the Bing bot, um, you know, there's AI is going to be like any other tool, you know, modeling, uh, whatever, over it's garbage in, garbage out. So it's only as good as the programmers, you know, behind it. But uh, here's an interesting story. I came upon an interesting story uh, about the impact that can have on an individual. Uh, Jonathan Turley is a law professor at George Washington University, and he's, uh, he's a pretty big commentator on legal issues. You'll see him in different publications. And there's an interesting article in the Washington Post recently that referred to a post that he has on his own site, jonathanturley.org, about how he was contacted 
by a reporter, I believe it was, about a claim of sexual harassment that was never made against him on a trip that never occurred while he was on a faculty where he never taught. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a quote from the first paragraph of his blog post. And it says, chat GPT relied on a cited Washington Post article that was never written and quotes a statement that was never made by the newspaper. Uh, when the Post investigated, it learned that another AI program, Microsoft's Bing, which is powered by GPT-4, repeated the false claim about him. Uh, so in other words, something that never happened was made to appear as if it did happen. So to me, that's sort of scary. Uh, I, I'm probably one of the few people that hasn't jumped in and played with with the stuff for the chat GTP and the language models and so on. Probably because I tend to like to sort of sit back and see how things shake out before I really dive in. So I'm reserving judgment at this point. You know, you'll hear a lot of people talking about stuff like this in terms of writing code, uh, in terms of helping people uh, write code. You know, you already had something sort of like, you know, GitHub Copilot, right? Mm -hmm. um, and other tools like that. And you hear various opinions. Yes, this is going to replace all programmers. And no, it's not. It's just going to help you do things better and faster because this will do some of the lower level stuff for you. Um, there's good and bad to it. And I, I can certainly see its benefits provided they're used properly. <laughs> you know, not used to, as a cure-all. Oh, this is going to replace Google is one of the great ones I've heard. <laughs> really? Okay. Uh, I don't know about that. But anyway. So the title of this blog post by Jonathan Turley is uh, Defamed by ChatGPT, My Own Bizarre Experience with Artificiality of Quote-Unquote Artificial Intelligence. So I'll drop that uh, link to that in the show notes for sure. But then with that, we get to what I like to refer to as the high point of every podcast, although I'm sure some people would uh, contest that assertion, um, which are the dad jokes of the week. So... Not too long ago, uh, a cannibal crashed my dinner party and rudely demanded that I feed him. I gave him a piece of my mind. So, you know, being an <clears throat> older person, I guess I can say back in the day, my day, excessive use of commas was considered a very serious crime. It usually resulted in a long sentence. Right? Yeah, but we'll say that. And then... Uh, uh, you know, people say from a health standpoint, people say that circumcision is not painful, you know, because the baby's, you know, so young. But personally, I couldn't walk for a year after I got mine. Right. <laughs> so imagine the drum jokes. Uh, anyway, those are my picks. You got any for us, Eric? I feel like I should talk about Bard because I was trying that's google's version of chat gpt for as different language models completely different that oh. way but it's a similar interface where you can ask it prompts and it gives you answers and so far i've felt it's a little underwhelming compared to chat gpt uh just I'll, i've tried some prompts in the past like create a view 3 app that does this and then it'll be like sorry can't do that or it'll tell me i'm a text-based ai and that's outside of my capabilities <laughs> so it feels like the prompts aren't quite as good as ChatGPT. It feels like I barely, like most of the time, ChatGPT would try to do something, at least regarding code. Or maybe I just am not a good enough prompt prompter. That's funny, that story that you just mentioned, 
I guess they call it hallucination. Like your AI hallucinates, makes up facts and stories. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that'll be a, a an issue as things go on. I, it's funny this this whole tech cycle of of AI and ChatGPT. Like I I fully admit, last year and the year before, I jumped into Web three feet first. Got crypto, really into crypto, it. Crypto. I, I've been into. Yeah, I did crypto. I had I've owned crypto for a while. And but when everybody started when crypto started going crazy, everybody was doing blockchain development. I like started learning it and I jumped in and it's so funny like how everybody quickly turned on crypto and blockchain in general. Not everyone. There's still some amazing products, amazing people working in that space that I highly respect. But it feels like in general, like it's definitely cooled down a lot. And now everybody's jumping on the AI bandwagon. I just saw a good friend of mine just tweet like, hey, I'm dropping everything for AI. This is, I'm all in. And then even I saw some tweets from other people saying like, if I if I was beginning my career, I would just go all in AI right now. And I wonder if, if there's any parallels of, of the Web3 mania that was happening a year or two ago and what's happening now. I guess in, one, in some respects, a lot of people are saying Web3 didn't have very good use cases. Like there was nothing ever, someone was like, wow, I really need to do this because Web3 really solves this this thing. Like blockchain is interesting and decentralization is interesting, but there wasn't any, like a killer use case. And now people are all finding like, well, at least I can use ChatGPT to give me 10 titles for a blog article I'm writing, or I can use ChatGPT to um, to answer some questions that will much harder I can answer. So it feels like there's more there's more use cases, but I don't really find like there's a killer use case for it. But man, the hype is just insane right now. Well, I know in the education world, some of the things I've been reading about is how, which to me is rather unfortunate, is how kids will use it to write papers, you know, or generate papers or do homework assignments or find stuff like that, which is, what's, aren't you supposed to be learning stuff by doing it <laughs> on your own? You know, not sort of defeat the purpose, but. You know, I don't know. And, you know, issues with professors trying to determine the difference between an actually written paper versus one written by AI. So there's some some tools that way for sure. It's interesting that, you know, people say it's 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 almost like a sentient being. Well, no, it's really not. <laughs> I mean, it's like I said, garbage in, garbage out. It's only going to do it's not going to be able to think actually and come up with stuff on its own. It's basing off what it's been trained to do, you know. So yeah, don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm seeing like a bunch of different use cases. Some bad, like you're talking about, like kids plagiarizing or cheating using ChatGPT to write their papers. And then I'm seeing, I am seeing like some use cases coming out, which is way more than I saw in the Web3 world, where everybody was still like, "Well, we can create NFTs and pay for JPEGs," and wasn't quite uh, where it is now. So I'm, I'm excited though. You know. It, it's really neat. So I guess Bard would be my my pick. And also I'll just throw out a quick plug at, at Amplify. As a developer advocate, we've been releasing a lot of cool connected components that work with our AWS Amplify system. So we re- recently created a storage manager, which is, I think last time on, I may have talked about a file uploader. This is kind of like the second revision of a, of a file uploader, but it has a lot more features. It allows you to upload files. It's for It's like a React component. Um, not not really useful for a view developers who are listening right now, but uh, I'm sure you if you have a React project and you need to connect to some AWS services, check that out. 
Yeah, we we did a podcast. It's been a year. I'm not sure how long ago it's been where we had you on to talk about uh, View at, at yeah. AWS. Yeah, we still do tons of View. There's still uh, great support for View for AWS Amplify, for AWS Amplify. Um, and then we have some product, some features that are React only and some are View only. Right, right. And uh, we'll drop a, he mentioned a video uh, that he was doing yesterday. It was sort of a, was it, was it a AMA type thing or just you're demonstrating how to use Tailwind or, you know, with Amplify? Yeah, yeah. I, I did, a, I'm doing more live streaming for fun, just part of my developer advocate work and just, it's kind of fun talking to people. So I've been doing more of those often. Um, so I'm trying to do one one a week, just like an hour, just do Q and A. I'm also just building apps live on on my YouTube channel. I'm gonna set up Twitch soon. I just haven't done it yet, but I'll probably like simulcast on Twitch and YouTube live uh, YouTube live stream, probably an hour a week, and just build fun apps and try to educate people on Amplify and not even just Amplify, just like web development best practices in general. So I, I've, I've, it's, uh, it's definitely challenging a little bit to do live streaming, but I'm, I'm getting used to it. It's fun. That's being risky. Yeah. <laughs> you get stuck in something. Sorry, I'm going to pause for a minute while I figure what the heck is going on here, right? Exactly. I, I do leave the, I have been leaving the live streams up after the fact though. So if you want to watch it on demand, you can. But I'd also just recommend the YouTube channel, Eric.video, where I have more, more uh, specialized videos on different topics like Uno CSS. I did a about a twenty minute video on that, and, and that's where I got a lot of feedback. Yeah, if you watch the video. Watching. You can see where I I sort of bombed Eric. Yeah, was, I jumped in the middle of his video. I was like, oh, I forgot about this, so I turned it on, and he's he's creating a new app, and I'm watching the the uh, the chat, and he's like, well, for this particular case, we're going to use React, and you know, for whatever the reason was, I don't remember. And somebody's in there, why aren't you using Vue? And I got in there and said, what? Vue? You're a heretic. And we finally got down <laughs> to my thing and started laughing. I was like, oh, good. I was hoping he'd recognize me. <laughs> well, maybe it is the same thing. But uh, cool. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Again, man, it's good to have you, as always. And uh, I'm trying to think what else I was going to say. That's it. So uh, if you have any suggestions uh, for topics or anything you want to talk about, you can always ping me on Twitter at Wonder95, or we are also at Views on View. And uh, Eric is what? Eric CH, is that right? Yep. Eric CH, E R I K C H on Twitter. And DMs are open. All righty. With that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks to everybody for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Views on View.